This is episode 24 with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome to the Appitalize on Your Idea podcast, helping you bring any idea to fruition. Now, here's the guy who makes it all happen while keeping his day job, Justin Escar. What's up, everybody? Hope everyone had a good weekend, is having a good day, is having a good week, whenever you're listening to this. It is uh, pretty cold outside here on the East Coast. Not a big fan of the cold, but, you know, got to do what you got to do. This week, we have Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart of Gearhart Law on. They're a power couple who own and operate Gearhart Law out of Summit, New Jersey. As full disclosure, they their firm is my law firm. Uh, David Pasalski of episode 11 is actually does work for them, and David's actually my lawyer. So now that the full disclosure is out of the way, uh, the two of them, the reason I wanted to bring them on for you guys is not because, yay, we needed another lawyer, or yes, we need to talk about patents again because it seems to be all we talk about. But what's really interesting about these two is that they actually, their firm is actually an entrepreneurial venture in and of itself. And you'll hear in the interview how they use the web to suss new clients and how they actually ran the startup model in order to build their law practice. Now, I've told you guys in the past that Appitalize on your idea, the concepts behind it are not only for making apps. They are for also making products. And in this case, they use some of those techniques in the case of starting a law firm, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, Richard is the primary uh, principal and, and, and uh, a patent attorney. Elizabeth with a PhD, and she's a patent agent. And we talk a little bit about uh, some of the aspects of patents, like how you should get protected and how you should be as generic as possible, and maybe some new verbiage. But what really gets me is just how their law firm, but their angle is is that it's a law firm for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. And I think it's a really interesting story. So that's why I want to share it with you guys. So take a listen to the interview today with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. What's up, everybody? I'm here today. Uh, today's a really special day because this is the first time I've brought my portable podcasting equipment with me. And I'm sitting here with Richard Gearhart, patent attorney, founder of Gearhart Law, and Elizabeth Gearhart, patent agent, PhD, power couple, a lot of P's in this <laughs> sentence. Um, how are you guys? Hey, Justin. We're great. Great. So much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me come. I'm actually, for the listeners, I'm actually in their office. This is what happens when um, you live in New Jersey. You actually go places. You get in a car and you go places. When I lived in the city, I would never leave my apartment. But I'm here at Gearheart Law in Summit, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about entrepreneurs and, and patents and such. What I like about, about Gearheart Law is that it itself is an entrepreneurial venture. It is a startup. It is a startup, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, odd because I really never thought I would be in the position of uh, being a, starting a startup or even, um, uh, you know, my vision of life uh, was that I would go out, get a job, work for a big company, climb my way to the top of the corporate ladder, and that would be a uh, successful career. And so for 
most of my years as a patent professional, that's that's what I aspired to and that's what I did. And then <clears throat> life made other plans for me. Um, I did have a, a great career uh, in uh, working for companies such as Novartis and Dow, uh, Siva Vision, uh, but we went through a reorganization and uh, my job essentially went away. And so <clears throat> I needed to think of, well, what's gonna be the next step? And uh, I started looking for another corporate job, and Elizabeth said, "Well, why don't you start your own practice?" It's always the, it's always the <laughs> wife's influence, right? And I said I would help. Oh, yeah, okay. She said she would help, but it was also we just we had just relocated <clears throat> uh, to New Jersey from Georgia, and we really we had kids in school, and we didn't really want to relocate again. And I I thought that it was probably uh, it's not really something that I was even that enthusiastic about uh, at first. But then I started thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, this is a really great opportunity to do things differently. Uh, I had worked with so many different lawyers and law firms and they had always seemed to be sort of very conservative and imposing. They all had difficult reputations as people who were uh, just, you know, just all the negative stuff that you hear about lawyers. And so we really wanted to do something different. We wanted to also try to create a law firm that was virtual so we thought you know, and so it seemed like a lot of opportunities to do some things that you know at the time hadn't really been done before so I kind of started with this idea that we were going to try to uh, to uh, kind of break the mold and, and then that creative part is what really uh, appealed to me and <clears throat> We set up a website, which is something that uh, a lot of law firms weren't doing at that point, advertising online. We were told that the only way you'll ever get clients is through relationships, and it would take about seven years for you to build up a practice that had good clients and good paying clients. And we, we got our website out there, and we just found that the response was great. We started getting a couple of calls per day. And when was this? This was um, 2006. 2000. Oh, wow. So it's not even that long ago. Not even that yeah. long ago. And, uh, and it, it turned out that the web really built our, our, our law firm. And, um, and then over time, we got clients through referrals and networking events, uh, et cetera. But uh, really, I don't think I, we could have done it as quickly without, 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 the, uh, without the internet. And, when people are looking for a patent attorney, uh, <clears throat> there's just not that many of us, that, not that many patent professionals in the U.S. I think there's maybe 30,000. That's lot. so funny because I, since knowing David, who works for you, I've now met like 15 of the 30. <laughs> 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 but hopefully you like us the best. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> well, I, so. yeah and I think uh, one of the greatest benefits for us for starting this firm is it's so much fun. We love the entrepreneurs. We get to see all these incredible ideas come across our desk. And to me, that's the most exciting part. And it's funny because people walk in and they're not sure about their idea. And some people may not think it's a great idea, but we think every idea is a good idea. And some things that you're maybe not gonna make a million dollars off, they're not a cure for cancer but they're going to sell really well. And, and that's a big thing, though, right? Because so many right. people come in and they say, so many, so many people who come up with new ideas, they're always just like, 
is this the next million dollar idea? Is this the next billion dollar idea? Is this going to be the next Facebook? In, in reality, what people need to start doing is focusing on the next $100,000 idea. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel that a lot of people are still missing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, obviously, um, you know, money is always a motivator in these projects. And, and one of the great things about working with entrepreneurs is that they have a real passion for their projects that maybe if you're working in patents and corporate or government environments where the, 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 the inventors don't have the stake that they do um, in the entrepreneurial practice, they, they don't really have that passion. They get a pat on the head or, or something, but they don't get the, you know, the payoff. Um, but it's also going through the entrepreneurial process, even if it doesn't work out, I still think is a growth experience for the people who go through it because it's unlike anything that you would do, <clears throat> I think, in, in, a, in a more traditional corporate environment. And, and you learn things, you learn about the industry, you learn things about yourself. And um, it's just a, a great experience to go. Sometimes it can be disappointing, but sometimes it can be thrilling too. And, mm. and when you've actually managed to pull it all together, then there's a tremendous feeling of satisfaction that goes with that. And, um, and so it's a valuable experience, you know, one way or another. And, uh, and, and so while you're looking at the $100,000 ideas, I think that's good. If you make $50,000, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, 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 it's all good. As long as you didn't spend $51,000, exactly. right? So, yeah, that works out. <laughs> um, so as entrepreneurs yourself like what do you guys think some of the hardest things are for the entrepreneurs short of maybe the legal part of it because the patent is always such a detailed process Mm -hmm. so what else are some of these things that you guys see especially with I mean you don't have to share your clients obviously but in your some of the dealings you've had with clients what do you see some of their like major hiccups are I think one thing that happens a lot with inventors who are new to the process is they come to us, I, I was just speaking to a gentleman who is a potential client, and they say, what's the next step? What do we do now? You know, I have this fantastic idea. I can, you know, envision it. I can get the patent on it, but then what do I do? And it's really great. It's a really great time to be an entrepreneur right now because there are so many resources for entrepreneurs. So I always direct them to, you know, some of the meetups in the area, some of the government programs, and... I think that that's a big part of it. Another part of it is getting the money, and getting the money is hard because you have to be really careful because you have to pay that money back. Right. <laughs> right? I know I've never gotten money from. Well, I mean, my parents have helped me out, but uh, I've never gotten like. That's the one thing my listeners have always questioned me about. They were like, "You've never. I've never gotten venture capital. I've always bootstrapped everything myself, which is both good and bad because I've never had to pay anyone back. But as my listeners know, I have had massive failures before like I lost $80,000 on a piece of software that I thought was gonna be great and then it was not and I was a little upset by that but yeah you know you don't want to with the money thing it's I I don't do it because I don't want to be controlled I don't want to have to listen to someone else tell me what to do with my idea Mm -hmm. right yeah and I mean it was the same way with us when we were starting out we had uh, we had some funds available Uh, it's a little less typical for law firms to take investment um, I think you can only receive investment from other attorneys, but 
you do pay a price for that. And you know your your vision and how you w- want to run with things. I guess if if you do take money, then you really want to try to find people who are going to be helpful but not suffocating, right? right. Um, but not having that, you know, going the bootstrapping route if you can do it. I I I think that's a that's a great way to go. You know? I mean, but it takes a certain <clears throat> kind of person to do that, obviously, because right. like if you if you can I always talk to when I talk to entrepreneurs or I talk to people who have ideas who come to me and I, I always push the bootstrapping route that's just mm-hmm. me and I've said to them I say how much money can you live can you lose without it affecting your ability to eat dinner is it $2,000 is it $5,000 is it $50,000 mm-hmm. once because a lot of questions all the time is like what's my budget for this and stuff like that once they figure out like what their cap is before they would like lose their shirt or have to eat we're, we're old enough to not have to eat ramen every night mm-hmm. um, once they figure out what that is then they get a better sense of whether or not they need money. I mean that's worked for, for some of my people that's a great approach yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well and the other thing is managing the money you have I mean really that's another I think challenge for entrepreneurs is what do you actually spend the money on do you spend it on marketing do you spend it on somebody making a business plan for you do you spend it on the patent? We hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I was totally going to say, like, I was totally waiting for you to say something to be like, you should spend it here and give her a lot on a patent and nothing else. <laughs> I mean, do you spend it on your, you know, your branding? Do you right. spend it on an accountant? Do you spend, I mean, you could build a team of 50 people easily, but, you know, so managing the money, and I have to say, Richard is an extremely good manager, so that has helped Gearheart Law quite a bit. Right. You know, we don't have, you know, expensive, super expensive offices and, you know, controlling expenses is a huge thing. Yeah, I only saw one BMW in the parking lot. It's fine. <laughs> it wasn't mine. No, I think it was Jason's. <laughs> <laughs> I had the Subaru. <laughs> um, no, but that, I mean, that, that's a, that is a, a tough thing because there are people who, there are people who are good with money and there are people who are bad with money and there are people who just don't know. So the real question is like, okay, so let's start from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Someone has an idea. What is it that they should do next? Should they first come to you guys and get it protected? Should they straight up try to get money? You know, what it, what is your advice to the beginning entrepreneur since you guys have done it? Sure. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say intellectual property protection. I think they should come to us fairly early in the process. So they're going to do some, you're going to have to do some assessment of, um, you know, at least some internet searching, let's just say it's a product that you're looking to protect or an app. You know, you're going to have to do some searching around to see if there's what your competition is, if there's anything out there like it, okay? At least some cursory. And then you have to figure out, is there a market for what you're planning to do, you know, and get a sense of, you may think it's a good idea, but what's going to be the market pull and what's going to be the motivator to induce people, other people with all that other noise and all that other competition for your, for, for their paychecks, what's going to be the driver that gets them to, to, to jump for your... And know. asking your parents whether or not it's a good idea is never a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but then once you make a decision that you want to move forward with it based on some business criteria, you know, basic business criteria, then you need to get a you need to you do need to contact a patent professional. You need to do a search to make sure that there aren't third parties who've already patented it and are going to block you. 
you need to get yourself set up with confidentiality agreements so that when you can, you know, the people, if, if, <clears throat> if you do have concerns about letting the cat out of the bag early, that you can, um, uh, uh, you know, get some protection around what you're, you're talking about an NDA, essentially. NDA, yeah. confidentiality agreement. Um, some of those work better for some people, but it depends on what you're disclosing and who you're talking to. Um, but you have to keep in mind that early disclosures of your idea can have impact on the patent rights. Mm -hmm. So if you do decide to file for some sort of patent protection, uh, you know, disclosing your idea and waiting too long to file the patent can make it impossible to file the patent. Right. So um, most large companies don't disclose anything of any technical significance without uh, uh, some sort of confidentiality agreement. So you at least want to get some sort of read on the patent landscape and you also want to have some confidentiality. And then as if you do decide to, that the patent protection is part of your business strategy, then you want to get that done as soon as possible as well. And, and what we do find is that a lot of the clients that come to us, confidentiality and protecting their idea is very, very important to them. And, and some people it's not, you know, they're just going to go for it and whatever happens, happens. But um, when we do get the, uh, the application on file, I think it also frees them up psychologically to move forward because before they didn't know who they could talk to or how they could talk to about their idea, whether it was a supplier or a vendor or a prototyper, or developer, whomever. And now that the application is filed, they feel protected. So it actually gives them the boost to move forward and start working on the project, and they don't have to worry that somebody is going to take their idea and run with it. Right, and one of the big things, obviously, when you're getting protected in any IP scheme is, is the patent and also the trademark, because if you're going to start marketing your pro product, the last thing you want to do is fall into what we call the Pied Piper, which... If from anyone who watches Silicon Valley, he tried to do Pied Piper and someone else had it and it was a problem, blah, blah, blah. Don't give me that look, David. I, I watched the episode before you <laughs> showed it in that presentation. It's okay. Everyone knows you're here. Um, no, but the idea being that, like, because, you know, mar without marketing, you can't sell your product, whether right. you have a patent on it or not. Right. So they always, branding, branding professionals like to say, Branding and marketing happens the second you have your idea. Mm -hmm. hmm. But I feel like that might not necessarily be 100% accurate because if you start telling people, you know, or marketing the idea, then you're going to run into a problem with like a trademark. Now you're going to have to backtrack three steps. Right. You know. Mm -hmm. No, that's an excellent point too. And, and so, again, as soon as you decide, um, you know, the, for, for a lot of the projects we work on, they have the technical idea first. And then the branding starts to come a little bit later down, down the road. But yeah, as soon as that becomes an issue, uh, you know, trademarks aren't in and of themselves that expensive compared to other types of intellectual property. But the cost of screwing it up is really, really high. Right. You may get out there and think you have clearance and then two years down the road after investing in branding, packaging, artwork, the whole truckload of stuff, goodwill, 
somebody will um, send you a cease and desist letter. Somebody in California who's using the same name that you never you never checked, you never looked, right. and now you either have to spend a lot of money in litigation or change your name. So it might not be it might not be so linear, right? It might not be come up with idea, protected market, whatever, because it might you may have to do multiple steps at the same time. I think so. I th- yeah, I think that you really should. I mean, the trademark and the branding go together, and you really. I think the NDA, I think really, if you're going to do anything first, I would do an NDA before anything else. Okay. And because... We're going to make an order of operations here. So it's idea and then NDA. Right. And then depending on what it is, and I would get, of course, I would get the intellectual property protection. If you <laughs> <mean>. <laughs> Just plug it right in there. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and, and I mean, then really go for the branding and marketing. And, you know, I think, you know, there's different ways to approach things. I had a business once, and what they wanted to do was get the orders and then produce the product. Which isn't that bad of an idea. Which isn't a bad idea. And you can maybe try to get banks to lend you money then if you have all these orders and right. you're going to produce this product. So you don't necessarily have to make a lot of the product first to sell it. If you want to try it yourself and sell it on the Internet, if it's, uh, you know, well, a great example of that, I know we're, rec- we're recording this in middle of November, and it's probably not going to air until December, but right. if you, for the listeners, if they backtrack to the end of November, I just wrote an article, or I copied an article from someone else, on uh, Teespring, I think the name of the company is, and what they did was they wanted to make t-shirts to save this bar in college. And instead of just creating the t-shirts, what they ended up doing was creating a new process where they took pre-orders, mm-hmm. and then when they made enough when they got enough orders, then they produce the t-shirts. And now they actually offer that as the service to people who want to, because everybody wants to start a t-shirt company. I don't know why. Um, but the idea now is that you can take all those pre-orders without having to put a dime in, let those orders come in um, before you go and build. Right. So in that case, you would push your marketing, right? right? As soon as you're protected in the marketplace with, with whatever intellectual property protection the you design design. or whatever, yeah. Right, and we do whole strategies for people. So we don't just say, here, get a patent on this or get a trademark on this. We, we try to look at the whole picture of their whole business into a strategy that's going to last a few years. Right. Um, then I would go for the marketing next and then fill the orders, as you just said. Right. So let's talk about the strategy because it's a good thing to talk about. A lot of entrepreneurs don't necessarily have a strategy per se with their business. Um, what do you guys see as something that a lot of entrepreneurs would be missing when it comes to? I mean, I can name one thing that David pointed out to me about my apps, um, where he said, "When you were like, when you said to me, where is what sign my peg going to be like in five or ten years? Because it's not going to because I said this before on air and I've said this in presentations and I've said this a hundred times. Apps today are not going to be what apps are in five years." Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, what will the apps that I'm designing today be in that future thing? And that's a good strategic point to which my answer is, I still haven't thought about it since David asked me like <laughs> six months ago. But in general, uh, you know, people need to have these strategies. How do you guys help them with that? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a couple. One is, as we file, assuming if in the case of... Uh, Patents, we file provisional applications, and in the case of trademarks, we file intent-to-use applications. So, um, with with a patent, you can file a provisional application, and then you have up to a year to modify the contents of the application. So, you can add a new flowchart, you can add some more written description, 
And so that gives you time, you get your patent pending designation, and that gives you time then to fine tune the invention. Uh, to you know, and think and, about what the future will be with it, and, and and to think about what the future and during that time you're you're probably developing uh, new aspects, new to to it, so you can add those. So that's I think one important part for entrepreneurs uh, who are filing patents is to file a provisional. Then on the trademark side, you, trademark rights are for the most part determined by use, but if you are going in a branding direction, you can file an intent to use mark and so you can sort of put uh, a placeholder down and then you have up to three years to demonstrate to the trademark office uh, that you have have use. So those are some early stage thinking uh, things and then <clears throat> beyond that um, there's things that you know with respect to claim drafting for example um, sort of along the lines of what David said but it, what, if you were a competitor and you were reading this application, what would you do to get around it? And so, you know, you might add the shopping cart in a different part of the in a different part of the website or something like that. And so, you get that list of ideas, and then you make sure that those are covered by the claims. So, essentially, what you're doing is you're poking holes in your own patent, right? Looking to see what other people may want to do, because a lot of the times, entrepreneurs, and I've done this myself, are very blindsided. To you know, they have the blinders on to, to point them in what their product is doing, the way they see it working, and you need to be able to open that up and see what other people might see your product being used as. So yeah, you have to kind of reverse your frame of mind and ask yourself those those questions, and you know, obviously it's a team effort. And then beyond that, um, you can file uh, additional defensive applications if your product is up and running and generating uh, revenue. Um, it's usually, a business is usually not protected by just one patent application. Uh, eventually, if they're successful, then you start, you know, filing applications maybe on things that you're not going to make, but are, 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 th are things that somebody else might want to make. And you try to create a, a, a sort of a, a portfolio of patents so that no matter what the competition tries to do, You've already been there, and you've you've got them um, you've got them blocked off. So right. that's usually comes later, though, after you're generating enough revenue to to, to, kind to of buy make more the, patents. Buy yeah. more patents. Actually, I was just thinking about the the using your product in another way. So we just released an app called Goodnight, mm -hmm. which is an app that allows parents to monitor if their kids are on their mobile devices when they should be sleeping. Mm. And so... <laughs> that would have been nice to have right? <laughs> when they kids were on. Well, actually, so we started to get the word out, and somebody wrote to us. I'm not going to say how this word got to this person and how it came back, but somebody wrote to us. And I, I'm pretty sure she was kidding, but she was like, I should put this on my husband's phone. And I was like... What? And then I, I, it took me a second to realize what she was talking about. She wants to monitor her husband's phone to make sure he's not using it like where you know, he wants to. She wants to make sure he's not cheating on her. Essentially, is what it comes down to. And I was like, I would have never thought to use like a kid going to bed monitoring app for that. Right. But right. you know what? If someone has another use for it, someone has another use for it. But I mean, it's that same concept on a much more broad scale where. Anyone who comes up with any idea, you need to look at all the possibilities and not just 
the 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 narrow focused one that you think it could be used sure. for. Yeah, right. absolutely. And we brainstorm with our clients a lot. And one thing that we've been trying to do more recently is, if you came to me with something, some mechanical device, for instance, we try to see is there a way that you could communicate with this wirelessly to make it do something. So. And, and we try to um, put things in broad terms. So wireless could mean wireless and whatever else is going to be out there in 10 years because right. patents last for 20 years. So, you know, we try to foresee with the new technology to bring it into almost every patent that we write somehow. Just as a, not that the inventor is necessarily even going to use it right now, but a competitor might. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see, probably why you see a lot of these new devices that are coming out. So many of them have so many similar aspects to them but they're only just like a hair different because you can reverse one mark off from like each one on the patents and such right well we try to write our patents so that you can't, so you do, can't that. do that yeah so how do but then but i mean you could look at things like digital cameras they all have a wi-fi enabled remote now or like right. they can to their phone and they're all doing that or like the obviously the big example would be samsung versus apple and mm-hmm. they're always copying one another and, and like fighting that. in court. And fighting in court and stuff like that. Right. I guess the idea here is that let's build it in such a way so we don't have to fight in court, or if we do, we know we're going to win. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Got it. Um, how would you add wireless to, like, some of the – I don't know how we can descri- talk about this without disclosing, disclosing some people's stuff, but, like, how do you guys see – or can you give an example of, like, how you would add wireless to okay, just so, to see? So let's say you came up. With a new kind of skateboard. Okay. Okay. Because clearly I'm a skater. Yes. Okay. <laughs> anyone who knows me, anyone who knows me knows I have like no balance whatsoever. So, so let's say you came up with a new kind of skateboard. So we would have a Bluetooth enabled, a skateboard, yeah, but right. you know, and you might be able to send wireless signals to make it go a different direction. You might be able to build like a GPS. I was just gonna say GPS. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. Could right. Track your guys. I think we have a new. I think we got a great business plan. Going but we just here. disclosed it. Oh, sorry. This doesn't go. Everybody. No, this doesn't. Confidential. This doesn't go up for like NDA. three weeks anyway. We'll get it done <laughs> so, so um, and you know, you might have a speed control. Like, let's say you're a parent and it's your kid's skateboard. So right. you have something that so it can't go faster than. Who knows? Right, and anyone who's coming up with a skateboard would never think about that. Well, they might. They might. I, I don't know. Skateboarders but, don't want to be speed limited. <laughs> right, they don't. But if you're going to buy it right, for, for your, your son or right. your daughter, then you might make them have that as a condition. So those kind of things. Right. That's right? interesting. And then maybe you have, like, LED lights on it or, you know, maybe I, there's just, like, any wireless technology that you could think of right now, right. you could try to find a way to put it with it. How do you think beyond how do you think beyond that? Like how do we how do we protect for what is gonna be in ten years other than I mean, can you just make up So you try to make it really broad. So okay. you say, you know, a communication device that does not have to be attached to the skateboard or and you don't even call it a skateboard in the claims and so a board, a board with wheels. You don't even call it that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The claims are very, very uh, legal. Right? But you, you try to make it as broad as you can to, to encompass the concept instead of the actual. So this is, so this, okay. So, so going on that though, this is what causes problems for me because I tried to patent sign my pad a while back before we, we reopened the new one. And we got denied because in 1986, Somebody wrote a patent about communicating. David, you're gonna have to chime in on this one because you read it. But it's communicating 
how do you write it? With a mobile computing device to send agreements via fax to said mobile computing device. And this is 1986. This is before like computers were like a thing, let alone mobile computing. And that, because of that, my you can sign a PDF on your iPad got denied. And I just it like kind of there's more details to it, so don't hold me to this. But like it like blew my mind that this was written in 1986 that someone had the premonition to write a mobile computing device. That guy should have made millions of dollars inventing the mobile computing device <laughs> more than trying to screw me on my patent. But uh, in either case, like it's it's a it's weird how you want to from one side of it you want to be as broad as possible to protect yourself, and then from the from everyone else's perspective, you're like, ah, you were too broad, and it like messes up everybody else. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, right. yeah, that's always the ba- challenge, though, is that so the broader you go with your patent, the wider you cast your net, the more prior art or prior technology you're going to drag in. Right. You know, and then so if it's too broad, the claims are too broad, then the patent office is going to deny the patent. So it's always this kind of balancing act. You have to, you have to make something that is narrow enough that the patent examiner is going to accept. Right. So you get at least exactly what you're doing covered, or close to what you're, and versus something that's really, really broad and is is going to be difficult to uh, to get through the patent office. So right. that's part of the challenge here. But yeah, it sounds like you just had something that kind of came out of left field. Sometimes the examiners don't always um, use the most, the best logic in you know making these decisions. I mean, a, as a whole, the patent office is very good, but sometimes you get things that um, you know examiner just gets stuck in their position. So right. something from 1986 becomes really big in their oh, mind, and it's killing me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so, and that can be really frustrating for the patent attorneys and the inventors, you know, that's, that's definitely part of the, part of the process. Um, but, you know, overall, I mean, it, it works reasonably well. And so if everybody plays rationally, then you should, you should be, you know, you, can, you should, should eventually turn out okay. But that's why you want somebody who knows the patent office to do your patent for you, application right. for you, because... There's a certain way to talk to the examiners too, and kind of try to explain to them what you're doing without. You mean instead of just yelling at them profusely over the phone? <laughs> I'm going to kill you and your daughter and your, <laughs> and your dog, and I'm going to burn your house yeah. down unless you give me my patent. Yeah, you, you got to try to kind of explain. Usually that doesn't do. work. <laughs> <laughs> you got to kind of try to explain. It is New Jersey. <laughs> explain it without making them feel too stupid because they didn't know right. what your invention was. They didn't understand it, so. But that doesn't. Uh, but on the same token, right? If they didn't get it, how is anyone else going to get it? And these guys are trained. Like Mindy Bickle was on a couple episodes back, and we talked about the the examiners that work there. And these guys are trained and whatever. If if they're not getting it, forget that it gets denied because of something in the past. Let's talk about they got denied because they didn't understand it. If they're not getting it, your audience probably isn't going to get it either, right? Well, it depends. I mean, patents are in a language of their own. So you might be able to explain it better if you're trying to explain it to an audience rather than write a patent on it. That's a different thing. Okay, that's fair. Well, it used to be that the patent office was more of a, uh, rather than the final arbiter of patentability and patent protection, they were sort of 
it, it wasn't quite a registration system, but the examiners would do an examination. And then it was always felt that if the patent became important, then the, the, the really tough part would be worked out in court when the patent was litigated. Mm -hmm. And what happened was in the 90s, the State Street Bank case was decided, which really kind of opened the door to business method patents and software patents. And so software patents became really, really prolific, and it just put a huge um, burden on the patent office. And patents going through under sort of these older standards uh, people started complaining about them because they felt like they were too broad or the patents weren't well examined and it created all sorts of all sorts of problems for the system. And so now the patent office is trying to tighten up on uh, a lot of those things and they're trying to trying to go through a more uh, difficult uh, examination process and they're trying to be sort of more the you know not really just kind of leave it to the courts to decide what patents are good and what ones what ones aren't. So as a consequence, I think a lot of the patent decisions are were a little bit iffy in the olden days when it came right. to software patents. And so you had kind of crazy things like references from 1986 and, and all of those kinds of crazy things happening. Right. So um, I don't know if that actually... You know. and it doesn't help me, I mean, because it's, that patent's still there. But luckily, my lawyer, who's sitting right there, will take care of it for me. Now we know what the underlying issues yes. are. I'm still trying to figure out the underlying issues myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so as we wrap this up, I want to ask you both the same question, and I want individual answers, which is what would be, other than getting yourself a patent or trademark, what would be the one piece of advice to give to any entrepreneur, entrepreneur, or inventor? Marketing. Marketing? Put money toward marketing? That's, I would spend a lot of money on marketing. I mean, not a lot, but whatever you could. And maybe even include in that a focus group. Okay. My, my answer is going to be, I guess I would say one of the most important things is work on yourself, your business self. You know, your, your business will improve if your personal strengths and your business strengths improve. And so study and learn as much as you can. Um, and if you, <clears throat> if you have any uh, hang-ups, try to take care of those as best as you can because at, at the end of the day, <laughs> I really think all of this is about relationships. And so ha your ability to form relationships, business relationships with people is going to have a big impact on your on the success of your venture. And so, you know, I think that's a really good place to kind of do a self-evaluation. I can only say that because I've been through that process so many times in my career. I kind of feel like I'm going to go home today and look myself in the mirror and be like, you need to clean up your business. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to be like, ah, oh, who are we kidding? Take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, to, to, to the extent you can. Right, but right. That's my... No, that's good. I like it. I like it. Okay, so um, since you're such a prolific on the web. Where can people find you guys online? Well, there are two places. We have a website, www.gearheartlaw.com and that's G-E-A-R like gear shift, H-A-R-T law, L-A-W so gearheartlaw.com and then we also have a blog called The Patent Puzzle online. So We'll put it in the show notes for you guys. 
Okay, yeah, so we do some legal blogs, but we also do a lot of blogs geared strictly towards entrepreneurs. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you very much. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. What I tell you guys, right? Power couple, genius, not only covering the patents, but the fact that they're so in touch with the entrepreneurial world. You know, living when I lived in the city, I didn't think I'd I that businesses outside of the city would work the way these do. And Elizabeth and Richard really show not only with their own business but their clients that entrepreneurialism is alive and well here in New Jersey. And if it's here, it can be anywhere. And you just need to you just need to find it. You need to find the right groups to meet with. You need to find the right people to team up with to make your product, make your idea come to life. So thank you so much for to, to Richard and Elizabeth for being on the episode. I really appreciate it. And thank you to, for listening. Uh, I do appreciate everyone's listening, everyone who's listening. Uh, do leave a comment in the iTunes store. Let me know that you uh, you like it too. Send me an email, justin at justinescar.com. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. All right. Have a good one.